Scripture this morning comes from the first chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, beginning at the 25th verse. Listen for the word of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let, excuse me, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. If you find yourself in our chapel sometime soon, and that's the building all the way down the way here. Go up to the chancel area. That's where the worship leaders sit. And look back at the back near the door where you enter the chapel. Some of you have done that. Look there and then look up above the chapel, or excuse me, the doorway. And you will see there a stained glass structure in the shape of roughly the church's logo. The wall comes out in the shape of a cross, and behind it is a stained glass depiction in the model and style of the other stained glass in the chapel of Pinnacle Peak. It is the church's logo, a cross over Pinnacle Peak. I've always found that very inspiring. I can't tell you how often I have looked up there while I've been leading worship and felt reminded of why we're here, to bear the cross in our place and in our time. I remember a small wedding that was scheduled for the chapel about a week or so after we had to close the chapel for worship in March of 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. Conversations back and forth with the couple being married, all about whether we could have the wedding or not, how it could happen, could it be indoor, outdoor, what were you doing with the chapel? We finally decided that they would reduce their invitation list down to just family, about 10 people. We separated ourselves in the chapel. We sterilized everything we touched. We had pieces of cake outside and proceeded with the service. That was the last worship service that we had in the chapel for nearly two years. I couldn't imagine that it would be that long. 
On the first Sunday that we were back in the chapel, the space felt like a homecoming. I sat in the chapel again and eagerly looked up to see that craw, that stained glass depiction with the cross on it. And yet I saw something that I hadn't noticed before. I remembered that there are lighter pieces of glass up one side of the peak. I always thought that maybe those represented sunlight on the peak or maybe water coming down if it had happened to rain or occasionally maybe even a little snow. But I hadn't remembered that the, the piece on the very peak was a different color than the ones that were flowing down. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I don't, maybe I'd just forgotten in these two years. Was it really the, a different color? Hmm. I didn't dwell on it because I had other things to think about it, but then the next Sunday I saw it again. Same thought. Was it always like that? Why didn't I remember this was a different color? And then the next week, and then the next week, and probably four, maybe even six weeks passed. That's not a lighter piece of glass, I thought, after a few weeks. I think it's a hole. Maybe. Nah, man, it can't be that. Nah, I wouldn't, that doesn't make sense. And then I looked at it again, and no, it's white glass. Next week, I think it's a hole. No, no, it's white glass. Four, maybe six weeks passed until I finally sat there and realized, no, it's a hole. Sometime during the pandemic, I don't know when, early or late, a piece of glass at the very tip of Pinnacle Peak fell out. Maybe it was during a storm. Maybe it was just from age. It just fell out. Did it blow away? Was it still sitting on the roof somewhere? Was the piece cracked and broken or still in one piece? I'd forget about it during the week, and then the next Sunday I'd look at it again. I thought, oh, it's a hole, I'd, and chuckle. Letting hot air in and letting cool air out. No sign yet of rain coming in or any other damage, but there it is, opening to the world. I invite you to go look at it sometime. It's opening not just to an image of the world, but it's a break opening to the world itself. Now, I know that we'll repair it, but as we do, maybe we should put a new piece of glass there that is, in fact, a different color from the others. So we remember when it was a hole. Brought to mind also when I came to Pinnacle in 2009, when the larger stained glass in the chapel behind the table and the pulpit, when that larger piece of glass had a very large swath in it that was clear, clear glass that you could look out, framed by beautiful stained glass of the tree of life, you could look out onto the desert, onto the trees behind the chapel. But already by 2009, that clear glass was developing cracks. We called a stained glass expert in to take a look at that, and he did say to us, yes, those are cracks. And they might crack enough that pieces of glass will fall in. You need to take care of that. So a plan was developed to repair it, and we did it around about how to fund the project. 
And, uh, and then we were told that the reason why the glass was cracking was because the, th the clear glass was thinner than the stained glass. And because it was thinner than the stained glass, there was disproportionate changing in pressures, and it cracked. Got to change it, okay, but let's make sure it's clear. Yes, sir. The chapel was closed a bit as the work proceeded. When we went in to see the final result, the glass didn't look clear anymore. It was without color, but it was more translucent than it was transparent. You couldn't see through it. I was disappointed. Where's the clear glass, I asked. This is clear glass, we were told. The thickness that you need to preserve the work cannot be as clear as a window. In the world of stained glass, this is clear. I learned something. As far as the kind of, that kind of work was concerned, the clear glass was imperfect glass. I'm glad that the work has integrity now, but I still miss that clear glass, even with its cracks. And so my sermon. My years of ministry have included service in three congregations and two academic institutions. In each of those, I have been challenged and I've been privileged to serve achievement-oriented folk, smart, able, with a desire to solve problems and a, a sense of agency and power to do that. You believe that you can make a difference. You can build. You can influence. You dot your I's, you cross your T's. I love you for that, and I am often in awe. You understand the old illustration that I've said before from this pulpit about how you can tell an achievement-oriented person in the room from the non-achievement-oriented folks by how they throw paper into a wastebasket. You know that one? The hotshot, who often crashes and burns, tries to imitate their favorite player on the Suns or, or the Mercury, and they go way back and they make a hook shot and miss half the time. The overly cautious follower, who'll do a good job but stay close to home, will walk up to the basket and place the crumpled paper in. The achievement-oriented person in the room will move back just far enough away to look interesting and to create a little sense of drama, but close enough to never miss. Is that you? You know the underside of this too, don't you? We achievement-oriented folk can be a bit impatient. We can be a bit perfectionist, a bit controlling. We want things to look good, to be buttoned up, to be well-planned, and to be healthy. We get nervous at a meeting that has no agenda. We bristle at foolishness, even when it's our own. When things are not going well, we might hide 
or even walk away looking for what feels like more fertile ground, our confidence can get a little shaken when we confront weakness or pain or ambiguity or things that shake up what we thought we had a handle on. We're a little bit out of our ken with unanswerable questions or unfixable problems. The very gifts and strengths we have to build a successful life and a successful church can sometimes be the very things that make it hard for us to hear Jesus' word for us. They can make it hard for us to hear Jesus' word that in God's vision, those who appear to be last in the world will be first. And those who appear to be first will be last. Those who appear to be last in the world will be first, and those who appear to be first will be last. Paul tried to remind the young Christians in Corinth about this. He tried to remind them that they were actually a mess, but for the grace of God. That they were lost, but for the touch of God. That they were not the folks who the Romans with power or the clergy with influence or other influencers would have picked to join their groups, even though they were the very people that God picked to lead God's world-changing movement. So remember that, he told them, and don't mess things up. You heard one part of how he said that. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, he said. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that we can remember what is written. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I wonder what Paul would have written to us here at Pinnacle. Because you see, lots of us know stuff and we're even kind of worldly wise. Lots of us have some power here or there. And whether we think we were or not, many of us were born with some kind of privilege. 
by the world standards at least. Lots of us are somebody in society's eyes and have a few things that we can rightfully boast about. And for the most part, we are pretty good folk and we have made pretty good decisions in life and the world has been on the whole pretty good to us on the whole. And yet, some of us also have been broken. And some of us have found our positions or our power or our security taken from us, sometimes by our own decisions, sometimes by things over which we have no control. Some of us have found more struggle than place, more suffering than pleasure, more worry than accomplishment, maybe for a minute or maybe for a lifetime. We don't always make the basket. Both of those things are true, as is the fact that beyond the pendulum swing between glory and pain in life, we have also had opportunities to touch the loving grace of God and to find a humbler strength, to find a sense of healing purpose and to hear a whisper in our hearts that reminds us that our worth is not in achievements or in power or in intelligence or in associations or in beauty or in the circumstances of our lives. Our worth and so our joy and so our strength is in the life of the one who gives us worth, each one of us. I've known many successful people in my life who, who have made their way by barreling through, by not looking back at what's in their wake, and by riding waves, by capitalizing on talent against all odds, by leveraging gifts, by grit, and creativity, and I have learned something from each one of them. Yet I've also known people who have been chastened and awakened by life, who've recognized their weakness or experienced the suffering of someone they love, who have had a personal encounter of some kind with the realities that so many people face in the world today, who've honestly seen some of the contradictions with which each one of us lives, and who have let those things open their hearts, not close them down. They've even let those things change the way they think about God, no longer seeing God as just a good idea or just a cosmic supporter of their dreams, but now seeing and understanding God as savior and healer and peace and meaning and power to love. Where are you 
Can you see the cracks in the glass as gifts? The holes as openings? The stuff of life as the place where you find God close, not distant. In weakness, God can give strength. In imperfection, God can shine. We should keep making life, no harm, no foul. This side of paradise, we need to make life. We just need to do it in ways that still let the light through and still point to what's true and still open our hearts and minds to a spirit that turns things upside down or rather, right side up. Where, where we're a little foolish, we might find we need to let God show us the way. Where we're weak, we might find courage to accept a strength from beyond us. In those experiences of life that we cannot control, we might find freedom to thank God for life itself and hope enough to keep going. And in the ways that we get all wrapped up in comparing ourselves to others, we might find vision to learn from all people and work for the good of all people and affirm the worth of all people. And so in a world that can sometimes feel indifferent, we can still find a love that binds all things together and promises a kind of peace that passes all understanding, holes and cracks and all. Amen.